0: I am not a celebrity. I'm not Reese Witherspoon. I'm not Serena Williams. I'm not. I'm just a regular person. And so is Olivia. And so are Sarah and Kate. And so are all of us, right? If you believe in something and if you're passionate about something, you can do it. You actually can do it. And if you have the team around you who believes with you, you can do it. You don't have to be a celebrity or some major person to move mountains.
1: Karen Khan credits the beginning of her entrepreneurista journey with becoming a feminist after a few years of her career were spent monetizing primarily male creators at YouTube. Karen fell into what she calls a shame spiral after being unexpectedly let go from another decade-long career and how she started her first business to help her get out of that mindset, ultimately launching iFundWomen, a crowdfunding site for women with big ideas. You're about to hear how Karen and her team have passed $500 million in capital raised by their members in under five years, and how you can get involved with Women too. Coming up, Karen shares her experience dealing with the unexpected loss of her corporate job, how market research and testing can help you be prepared for anything, why hiring a coach can help you become more attractive to investors, Karen shares some common terms you need to know when raising capital. And finally, how iFundWomen is dedicated to helping all women see success in their businesses. Karen, we are so excited to finally sit down with you and share your incredible entrepreneurista journey and story. You have quite the background of the incredible companies that you've worked for before you started your business ventures. I would love if you could take us back to, you know, really your career journey and what led you to start Women.
0: Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm a longtime listener and first time guest. So I'm very <laughs> honored to be here. Seriously, what you all have built is, is truly incredible. And to do it without any venture funding is even more incredible. So brava to you both.
1: Thank
2: you. Thank you.
0: I really grew up at Google and YouTube, which was such a privilege and a, it was historic, right? I started at Google in 2001. I was one of the first couple hundred employees and I was 24 years old. So I had just moved to New York. It was like a Mary Tyler Moore moment when mm-hmm. I was like walking to work, having just moved from Boston. I was like ready to throw my fake beret in the in the air. <laughs> I'm sure your audience has no idea who Mary Tyler Moore is, or maybe they do.
1: Oh, everyone knows. I, I used know to watch I that. I did.
0: Yeah. I spent 10 years at Google and YouTube, the first six years working on search. And the last four years when Google acquired YouTube in 2006, I t- jumped over the fence. I was like, that is so much cooler. I want to work on that. And I was in sales. So selling like search, which is keywords is, was boring and lucrative and also boring. And so when YouTube started, it was this wild west of video content. And I am like an absolute visual learner. I love videos. I was a voracious consumer of TV and movies as a child. And then when, you know, YouTube came out. I mean, forget about it. I was really kind of a junkie on YouTube and from a smoky eye video to anything on mental health, to anything on, you know, sexual wellness, like I was consuming anything and everything. And I was also working there and monetizing. My job was to monetize the big creators. So the creators that had quote unquote scale, lots of impressions to sell. And um, I was the sales director for the CPG, the Consumer Package Goods Vertical. So, and there's a reason I'm sort of telling you the story. So a couple years into monetizing the creators on YouTube, I became a feminist. And that was in 2007-ish. And I really wanna say that like before that moment, I didn't really think about gender. And it was also because no one was really talking about it so much back then, but I was lucky enough to not realize I had been harassed at work, or I don't know if lucky enough is the right word. I probably was super naive. I was in my twenties and I was making a lot of money. I was working my way up the ladder at Google, winning all the awards, monetizing everything, like you know, top one percent of the company, you know, in performance. The the hiring algorithm is based partially on my brain for salespeople, So the whole other podcast in and of itself. Wow. I had a very successful career there and I loved it. I mean, what's not to love about that experience? So all of these sort of like sexist things that happen or harassment things that happen, like, I didn't care. I was like, it it just didn't even phase me. A, because I was, you know, engaged and engaged with my then. My now husband—he was my husband.
2: He's now my <laughs> one of my best. I've never friends. heard that a husband. I like was, it. <laughs> husband,
0: it's way nicer than ex. <laughs> so yeah. So I never really noticed it, but anyway. So I became a feminist and someone who was a person who was about to become maniacally focused on creating economic opportunity for women when I was working at YouTube, and my job was to go out and take these big creators who had tons of scale and sell them to advertisers right Mm -hmm. so i would be doing eight figure deals easily with my cpg advertisers pepsi and unilever and coca-cola for all these young male creators and you know that was the endemic youtube audience at first right the 18 i mean really like 16 to 22 year old kids boys who were mostly like West coast based doing like skateboard videos and surfer videos and gaming things. And like, that's all cool. Like no shade there, but I was busting my ass to do these huge deals. And I was like, wait a minute, like where are all my lady creators at? And I had been watching at the same time consuming all this content on YouTube, all the women's content, right? Like every, I don't, I love a smokey eye tutorial. Like who doesn't? So I was looking for all the female creators on YouTube who had scale that I could monetize and they just were not there. They weren't there. So I went to my boss at the time and I said, I have a great idea. Why don't we go through the entire YouTube library and find every monetizable video that is made by a woman, literally put a stamp on it that says, made by, you know, female creative economy or made by a woman or whatever, put a physical stamp on it. I'm going to package it all up and I'm going to quintuple the price and I'm going to sell it to Unilever. And he looked at me like I was full on, like crazy.
1: Wow. What year was this? 2007. Okay. And
0: he said, it's an okay idea, but like, the brand's like really care. And also it's illegal, which it was, you can't, go and pluck people out by perceived gender, right? It's discrimination. So like, yes, it's illegal. He's like, but we can't do that. Like, there's just too many videos. And I was like, we can do whatever we want. Like, <laughs> of course we can do it. Like if there's a will, there's a way, but there was no will. So I sort of stuck this idea of a YouTube for women in my back pocket. Cause I was like, there needs to be a YouTube for women. Not only because we needed to shine a bright light on female creators, to help them monetize. But also because at that point, the comment sections in YouTube videos were becoming repulsive. Misogyny, hate speech, harassment, rape culture, was all happening right then. So it was the confluence of this trollish culture happening on women's videos. Mm. And the fact that there weren't enough scale with women in their content creation, I got an idea for, an, a, for a business. Okay, so I put this idea of YouTube for women without the trolls in my back pocket because YouTube didn't want to do it. And I was like, fine. So then I plotted along, I got bored. I'm like, I'm a born entrepreneur because like, I love to take on a big hairy challenge. I love to crush it. And then I'm bored. (laughs) So I did 10 years at Google, which was magical and amazing. I mean, truly was wonderful. And I was like, I am going to go start my thing. There was a little bit of a pit stop in the middle there my one of my bosses at Google, Tim Armstrong, who had gone over to make AOL cool. And then, you know, they spun it off from Time Warner, they went to AOL. And he was like, Karen, please come over and do what you did at YouTube with monetizing the creators at AOL. Like, what's it going to take? So I told him like a crazy ass number for my salary, a s- even stupider number to buy me out from my golden handcuffs. And I was like, I will come over if you pay me all this money. And you give me a budget to fund female creators and I will go monetize it done. We did it. We got our first ever Emmy nomination.
1: Wow. We funded
0: $30 million in female creators. And this was back in 2011. We brought Nicole Ritchie back from, you know, Oh
1: yeah. you watched watch when. that show.
0: Yep, we brought Nicole. The simple Richie
1: life back. was it? The no, simple it life was so
2: Richie or something like that, it was right? Candidly, Nicole. Candidly, Nicole. Uh-oh. That's what that it was. was
1: yes, I watched that. Wait, I was right. going way back. I said the simple life wasn't that the yeah. one from like that was her original. Candidly, life?
2: Nicole was the like ten minute series she did, and I would yes. watch it. I always watched it. Yay, I love her. Right. So. I like
0: <laughs> um, we did a thing with Gwyneth Paltrow when she b- before um, Goop when she was just starting to get into wellness, it was her and Ryan Seacrest and it wasn't very good to be honest, but, and then we also did, I was, I had my eye on a couple of really cool STEM like science and technology creators from YouTube. One was working at NASA, like on the side, like brilliant women, amazing creators from all sectors from tech to, you know, from tech to Nicole Richie, right. And everything in between. And so we funded these women creators, which was revolutionary, and we funded them with women behind the camera, women, you know, production, and women in front of the camera. And it was a whole moment. We won wanted, we wanted an Emmy nod. And then after three years, my career at AOL ended, sadly. Can't talk about it, but let's just say that people don't like it when a woman is really highly paid even if she's amazing and doing lots of good stuff and making the company tons of money. So that was back
1: then. I have so many questions, but you said we can't talk about it. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll
2: save those questions for an uh, off-the-record we'll conversation. I'll, ask, <laughs> ask the questions and maybe I can
1: ask. Why do you think that is?
0: Oh, oh, that's a great macro question. Why do you think it is that men don't want to give up their power? Money is power and men don't want to give it up. If you had it, I have it. I don't want to give it up. But women don't have it typically, which is why we started iFund Women, which is what led us here. So yeah, that, I mean that it's a power thing. It is just about power. So after my three-year stint at AOL, I left, which was sad, and I was really quite devastated because I loved my job. I loved my job. I got to fund women, video creators, fund the female creative economy, and put money into the hands of women to create really amazing stuff that we all wanted. Courtney was just saying like, and she doesn't know me, like she watched that show. And that was, you know, so I was took so much pride in creating this economic opportunity for women. And I had this YouTube for women. I, without the trolls idea in my back pocket. So I was like, I was just really effing mad. Like, I was mad. I was devastated. I was embarrassed. I'd never been let go before ever. And there's no shame in it. It it happens to everyone. It just, it was the first time it had happened to me. And, you know, I was just promoted and given like a massive bonus. So it was like just out of left. Mm. And it was, so it was, it was more like traumatizing. It was very shocking. It wasn't like I was having performance issues or like there was any lead up It was just one day I came in and I was like hauled into HR and they were like, here's a package. And I was like, take your package and go fuck yourselves. I'm about to sue you unless you pay me this amount of money. I wrote a number on a piece of paper and I slid it across their desk. And I'm like, what you did was illegal. You dumbass. (laughs) MFers in HR. Get some HR training, dudes. Good for you, Karen. (laughs) I'm like, but this was all in this shock moment. I'm not even kidding. Like this is like, I was in this office, in this cubicle office, and they were like, blah, 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 blah. blah. You know, it's not you, it's us. And here's this. And I was like, that's illegal. I'm not taking your package. Like, are you kidding me? So yeah. So I wrote a number on a piece of paper and I was like, here you go. It was a Friday. I'm like, I'm piecing out. Uh, Let me know what you want to do. And they called me that evening and they were like, we will be wiring you the money. Like, Wow. Terrific. That's a really fantastic, shitty feeling. So I mourned. I was like, I was really, it was off. It was awful. It was really bad.
1: How did you get through everything? Because going through something like that, it's not easy, especially when it's something unexpected. So how did, how did you handle it? How did you move forward? And what, what year was this?
0: 2014. 2014. Okay. How did I handle it? That's a very good question. I had a very supportive partner at the time, um, which, which was amazing. A powerful white man who was very supportive and also in the corporate world, a high ranking executive who understands HR and understands the law. And he was in, in, and like, he was so proud of me that it kind of pulled me out of my, Mm. I was still, I was mortified. I think the biggest thing I could say was I was just so embarrassed because I wasn't allowed to talk about it. I think I can now, the statute of limitations is probably over and all the people are gone and AOL is like RIP anyway. I mean, literally, (laughs) I don't don't even know if it
1: exists. (laughs) That's because you're not there anymore. (laughs) It
0: was oath. Verizon bought it. They spun it out. Who cares?
1: Yeah. But
0: yeah, I think time heals all wounds and I and honestly I jumped right in. Here's what happened. I jumped right into starting my first business. I needed a project. I needed something to work on. I needed to innovate. I needed to do something because otherwise I was just going to be in this, you know, shame spiral. So I started my first company which failed miserably, which was the YouTube for women without the trolls. But that's what led me to iFund Women. So mm-hmm. I started this company. It was a software company. I did everything wrong. I could not raise capital to save my life. I met my two co-founders there. So my first two employees were Sarah and Kate. Shout out to my two co-founders. And for two years, we slogged it out building this software, having never built software before. Sarah was a producer at UCB, Upright Citizens Brigade, yeah. and an actress highly creative, crazy uh, uh, project manager, amazing, brilliant, like brand marketer. She runs our enterprise business. She's just like a brilliant creative um, and brilliant executor. So she was one of my employees and Kate Anderson, my other employee was our operations director. So she's like my ops ninja, still is. And long story long, we slogged it out for two years trying to get this thing done. We did, we got the software up, we got the platform up. It was clunky. We had spent way too long building it. It was like, instead of failing fast and cheap, we failed long and expensive. I put up a bunch of my own money because I had it and I didn't even know what venture capital was. Mm -hmm. I think you said it, Stephanie, earlier. We were chit-chatting in the green room about like, back when you guys started Socialfly, like VC wasn't even a thing right? But then when we started our first company, VC kind of started to become a thing. And I was pretty highly connected and started to try to raise venture capital. And the thing about coming out of a place like Google, you're totally brainwashed into thinking that everything you do from here on out is going to be gold, Mm. right? You're going to be able to raise capital. Every idea you have is brilliant. It's, you know, you're really brainwashed into thinking that. And I'm not an arrogant person at all, zero. I'm definitely confident and I'm exuberant and I'm an extrovert, but I'm not arrogant in the least. So I never believed sort of the Google bullshit, to be honest, like mm. the, 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 cool, the Kool-Aid brainwashing of the everything you do is gonna be amazing. But what I wasn't prepared for was entrepreneurship. Mm. I didn't know how to run a business. I didn't run a p and I'd never seen a P&L. I didn't know about budgeting. I didn't know about, first of all, doing your research on your potential customers, doing any customer discovery, doing any, you know, surveying. Do people want this product that I'm so passionate about YouTube for women without patrols? It's called V. It was called Vproud, the V standard for video.
1: Oh, Vproud. Okay.
0: Yeah. Vproud.tv. So I was like, so focused on building this thing because I think I was just angry and mad and was discriminated against, you know, and it all just was like, I poured it into this platform and that's not the reason to start. And it's not that it's not the reason to start a business, but you have to have like other people that want this product. can't just be
1: for you. Some market research first.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So we, We're running out of money. We could not raise venture capital at all. We did so many meetings, couldn't raise VC. We had revenue, Um, we had a product, it was clunky. We didn't have a lot of users. We had to buy traffic, it was mortifying. Did everything like ass backwards. And as a Hail Mary to save the company, we did a crowdfunding campaign. And it was in that moment when I was doing that campaign when I was like, wait a second. And this was back in the days where it was Kickstarter, Indiegogo, or GoFundMe for personal charity. But it was really Kickstarter, Indiegogo. So we did Kickstarter because that was the cooler one. And it was in the moment we were doing the Kickstarter. And I was like, wait a minute. This crowdfunding thing is, first of all, just sales and marketing, period. Anybody can do it, whether you're B2B, B2C, it doesn't matter. It's about your ability to go out and sell your vision, your dream, your product, your service, your mission, whatever. To people who you know who wanna buy into it. Mm -hmm. And as a salesperson who started off as a telemarketer and then before that was a door to door salesperson for a coupon book, I was like so used to making like 80, 80 phone calls a day or 10 stops, door to door stops a day. So, like, that didn't bother me. I was like, okay, I'm just gonna basically hound everybody I know to fund this campaign so we can keep the lights on. But it dawned on, at proud, but it dawned on me, I was like, wait a minute, this is an amazing demand gen thing. Like, why didn't we do this crowdfunding thing at the beginning of our funding journey or the beginning of our business journey to prove demand for your product or service before you invest in supply? And by supply, I mean, wasting years of your life trying to chase an equity around or, Um, going into credit card debt or going into debt, finding a business that isn't going to work. And let's face it, most startups fail and that's fine. But the worst is when you fail and you go into debt, you have no idea how many women we talked to who did just that. Mm -hmm. I did it. Um, I didn't go into like debt debt, but I definitely took a lot of money out of my nest egg, not out of my nest egg. I, I, I was wealthy. It was fine for me, but I am one of the Very few privileged people who can say that and I recognize my privilege completely. And my two co-Sarah and Kate and I looked at each other, we said, wait a minute, why isn't there a crowdfunding platform for women that encourages all women, whether you're an accountant, a farm to table restaurant, or a you know, a tech app, or you know, whatever business you're starting, you can crowdfund. Why isn't anyone talking about this? Why isn't there a platform for women? So then we were like. Um, our fourth person was a woman named Shilpa. She was our developer. I was, she had her headphones on. She's working away. I tapped her on the shoulder. I'm like, Shilpa, we're not doing Vproud proud anymore. <laughs> we're sunsetting it. We're going to build a crowdfunding platform. She was like, okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love this.
0: So this was in the summer of 2016. We sunsetted Vproud proud in September. And in that same month, we bought the URL iFundWomen.com from GoDaddy for two dollars and ninety-nine cents, which was both a very happy and sad moment all in the same time. Nobody really cared about funding women, but we did get our URL, which is exactly what we do. So we launched, and here we are, five almost five years later. We're celebrating our five-year anniversary in November, and um, we have empowered. Thousands of women to raise and this is an old stat, and I want to get you a new stat, and we're doing this study now, but as of a year ago, we passed 100 million in capital raised by our members.
1: 100. and
0: over 10,000 new jobs created, and that is old data. So I want to follow up with you guys. I'll have the new data in actually like a week. Yes. It worked. I mean the bottom line is, the problem we're solving is there's a complete lack of funding for early-stage women entrepreneurs. Less than 1% of all companies, regardless of the gender of the founder, will ever raise VC. Like, think about that. Less than 1% of every company will raise venture capital. So, what do the other 99% of startup founders do or business owners do? They max out their credit cards, they take out loans, they go into debt funding their businesses. And for women, the problem is even worse. So, out of the roughly $250 billion of VC deployed, venture capital deployed in this country, Even last year, which was on par with other years during a pandemic, women founded companies received 2.3%, and female founders of color received 0.64%. And that is the problem we're solving. We're not solving the venture capital problem because that problem ain't going to be solved for for a very long time. I don't care how many women uh, LPs there are, women VCs, the rise of the woman in venture capital has not equated to the rise of female founded companies. Getting funded. So we are, we have created a funding marketplace with multiple alternative sources of capital that anyone can have access to. And we're just super proud of it. And it's exciting.
2: For me, I want things to be so perfect. And I want to do this step, then this step, and then, you know, take this action when this happens. And your story really inspires me because not everything has to be so. Perfect all the time. Mistakes can lead to to new opportunities. So thank you for sharing that,
0: Courtney. You just said something that is one of the mantras at iFund Women, which is "perfect is the enemy it of done." It
2: is.
1: Mm-hmm. It is. It
0: really is. Um, and that's what we did with the first startup. I was like, it has to have all the bells and whistles. I need every feature, or else it's not. It needs to be perfect. And that is the opposite of what every great entrepreneur will tell you who is building a technology product or really any product or service except for medicine and pharma and things that are highly regulated but for the most part you want to put out a minimally viable product an mvp which you know reed hoffman i'm sure you guys listen to masters of scale it's one of my favorite podcasts not a woman but fine uh, produced by women now which is good so they're getting the revenue so, but anyway, Reid always says like, if you're not mortified by your MVP, you're too late. So we now just live by like that principle and also the lean startup yep. principles of testing, learning and iterating. And it takes patience and Courtney, I don't have it.
2: I don't have it either.
0: <laughs> so now we've got product, a huge product team and an engineering team. And like, I don't get to actually make a lot of decisions about how the donuts are made. Because they're doing things in the right way, but it's not fast enough for me, and I get I get antsy. So, I feel you on the uh, I feel you on wanting it to be perfect. I also want things to be fast. We're all still learning.
2: What are the biggest challenges that you're facing now? Three is it three or four years into iPhone Women? Five coming up on
0: five. Wow. We have multiple products at Women that help people get funded. And I'll just rattle them off super quick because this is not like a sales pitch, but just to kind of put context around the problem that we're like, what's keeping you up at night right now? So we've got four products within the funding marketplace. The first one is a crowdfunding product. The second one is an ed tech. It's a coaching product that we built in response to our beta test. We did a beta test with 20 entrepreneurs. When we launched, we propped up a Slack channel, a Slack network just for customer service. And it was literally me, Olivia, our first hire, Sarah and Kate. And we were like, we made their videos for them for free. We put their pages up. We were like, yo, this could break sister. So like, you're, they're like, we don't care. We need funding. We put all the caveats out there. We did everything for free just to see if the thing was going to work. Mm. And on the Slack channel, people were, of course, asking questions, like, how do I, how, how do I do crowdfunding? How do I do rewards that are going to sell? What about my hero image? Do I need a video? Blah blah blah, all those basic things. But then the question started to become about how do I track this? So I would say, Oh, just put your Google Analytics Pixel and your Facebook Pixel in your page, in the code in your page, and you'll be fine. It wasn't even code, it was like we'd coded it. And the entrepreneurs were like, You're speaking another language, Google lady. Like, what do you mean? So it's like, oh, oh, all right, well, let's hop on a Google Hangout, which it was back then, a little bit before Zoom we'll share screens and I'll set your Google analytics up for you. And so we did and I didn't, and they were like, this is, you just changed my, not changed my life. I don't want to be overly dramatic, but like my business life, like, you know, when you give people, when you teach people how to fish and give them the poll, it's changed. It changes everything. So then it was like, okay, well, should I advertise? Like the questions became less about crowdfunding and more about how to build a business. Mm -hmm. So we thought to ourselves, all right, well, we got to start, I I don't have time and we got to monetize this. So the second product we built and we actually raised VC to build this. Cause at this point it was about a year into it. We already had revenue and traction. We had probably like 500 customers and we felt confident enough to go out and raise a round of venture capital, which was our first, which was our seed round.
1: What was different this time when you went out to raise and what did you learn from the first time around?
0: Well, the first time around was just, I literally didn't even, I didn't know the language. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what the words meant. I didn't know common stock versus preferred versus a safe note versus convertible note. I, I literally didn't know the glossary of terms when we went out the first time. I knew nothing about venture capital. I've never taken a, you know, I didn't know anything about corporate finance, I mean, truly, I didn't know anything about the process. And so this time, what we did differently was one, we, we were educated. We knew what we, we knew. We had studied. And I think even more important than that, we were smart enough to know that we needed to hire a coach.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We needed to hire a coach to help us raise this round. And we did. And if I can give her a shout out, her name is Annie Evans. Annie Evans. She runs a company called Dream Ventures. you guys know Annie?
1: We just recorded with her two weeks ago and we have another business and Annie's actually helping me with the raise for that business right now. So yes, Annie is the best. And I told her we were recording with you today. (laughs) Oh my gosh. She gave you a shout out in when we uh, recorded her episode, we were talking about you for a moment.
0: Okay. I swear my life. This was not this was not planned. And I haven't spoken oh, to Annie in a while. Like we speak like on Instagram, but like, yeah. this was not planned audience. Just so you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Annie, so funny. Sometimes I'm like, you are like dead eyes, but that's what she, that's what you need to be. You need to be a robot. It's all about numbers mm-hmm. and you need to just stay on message. No long emails. Like I am so loquacious. I can't <laughs> shut the F up. <laughs> whether I'm talking to you or I'm emailing you, I want to give you every detail. And she would edit my email. She'd be like, dude, no one is going to read this. (laughs) And she would write me back two lines that literally synthesized my 25 paragraph email. And she's like, send this instead. And I sent it and it would work. I mean, she's really like brilliant. Yes, she is. At what is going to be attractive to investors and how to phrase things and no exclamation points, none of the, you know, language that women, including me tend to use, like, sorry, or I just think, or, you know, there's a Chrome plugin that you can get rid of that. I think it's called, I'm sorry. Seriously.
1: Oh, I didn't know about that. That's a There's good a Chrome one.
0: plugin and I believe it's called, I'm sorry, where it detects in any of your emails, it highlights words, almost like Grammarly for in phrases that make you sound weak.
1: Wow. Wait, what was it called again? I'm sorry, we um, gotta look this I up. I think
0: it's called I'm sorry. So Google Chrome extension, I'm sorry. You know, like something like um, language, women being stronger. I don't know what the Google terms would be. I haven't worked there in a while, but yeah, I think it's called I'm sorry. Anyway, so I hired a coach. I hired Annie. We raised the round. We actually did it in a very innovative way. And I'll tell you about it since, since you guys are potentially embarking on this. So I didn't have the will, bandwidth, energy as a single mom of two kids, um, one of whom was, you know, he has mild cerebral palsy and at that time was going through surgeries and we were flying around the country. Like I had a, so much on my plate, not that all of us don't. I'm not any more busy than other people, but when you add a sick kid into the mix, it kind of changes, you know, mm-hmm. your dynamic of it a lot. And I was like, Annie, I know we need to raise this round and I can't fly all over creation to do it. And also like the data doesn't lie. Women were getting 2% of funding then, like it hasn't changed. So Annie brilliantly came up with this idea of having an off-road show. I actually named it. So it was my name, but Annie's concept. Mm-hmm. So the idea was one of the companies that had funded on iPhone Fund Women called Luminary, which is a co-working space in New York, which you guys know, yeah. they raised 350 grand. Kate Luzio, God bless her, she just crushed it, raised 350K in cash to open up their space. She's like, I do not want to be VC funded. I want to bootstrap. I'm going to crowdfund. I believe in it. And she got her memberships. Like she yeah. sold memberships through her campaign, which was a super smart strategy. And so Annie said, why don't we have a beautiful event at Luminary so people can have a full experience of what I Fund Women is, which was genius, genius, genius. And she said, and by the way, forget Sand Hill Road and Silicon Valley. There's plenty of money in New York for women founders. In fact, it was the time when these funds that were popping up that were, you know, funding Daily Harvest and, you know, The Wing, RIP, and, you know, all of these uh, female-founded brands out of New York, there's this cohort of funds, women-run funds, and they all invest together. And Annie has access to them. And so we created... An event we had a breakfast and a lunch, each 90 minutes, lather, rinse, repeat. So, the format was everyone, it was 20 investors all at the table together, which by the way was so fun. It was all women, they all knew each other. It was like Sally Krachak, Rebecca Minkoff, like Lisa Blau, like it was there was it was the who's who of women investors in New York City and entrepreneurs. It was like a vibe. Like Annie created such a vibe and I'm not cool. Like I am so not cool like Annie. And so I would have never had this idea. I would, you know, we had the substance, we had the business. So I came on with Sarah and Kate, we gave our spiel. We flew in customers from around the country, one from Portland, different sectors of businesses too, one from Portland, Minneapolis, and um, the Hey Mama founders, uh, Katya and Amory, uh, they also raised on iFund Women, so they came, and so we had time for the customers to talk about why iFund Women, why they chose us over, you know, raising money on another platform. And then we had time for Q and A, and they had amazing swag bags from products that were all curated from iFund Women entrepreneurs. We gave them the whole experience, and the reason for them coming, we were very specific, or Annie was specific, like we are raising a round of capital. Here are the terms. If you're interested in coming and hearing about it and writing a check, you are invited. So it was a very purposeful, um, it wasn't like a party hoping to get, you know, it was, we are raising capital and here's how we're doing it. And that's how we got it done.
1: That's incredible. How much did you raise in that round?
0: So we overraised, which is, is not bad. We only wanted to raise 750. mm mm-hmm at a $5 million pre-money valuation. We were only raising 750 because I didn't want to like dilute too early. We ended up raising 2 million. It was oversubscribed and and, and we needed that money.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We needed that money, Karen. I feel like <laughs> good fellows right now. We did, we needed them. So it was, it ended up being amazing. We raised 2 million bucks and we have not raised since. So the good news is the employees still own the company, which is great. And we are much more valuable now. So it's all good in the hood, but yeah. And we did common stock, no preferred. Um, And for those women or men listening, basically common stock doesn't give any of your investors any voting rights. They can't fire you. They can't tell you what to do. And that's important, especially, well, really at most stages, but you can get away with it a little bit in your seed, but even now it's like very rare. Like, I remember when we were doing it, a couple of the funds, not the angels, the funds that invested, they were like, Who gave you these terms?
1: Mm-hmm. It was like,
0: We're setting the terms.
1: Good for you. But like,
0: What are you, Mark Zuckerberg? I'm like, Maybe. <laughs> not that I want to be him, yeah. but you know, maybe because he's the only other person they could point to who only sold common stock throughout the entire. Wow. Uh, trajectory of Facebook, but that he could, because everyone, you know, the billions and billions of users are like, who do you think you are? I'm like, I think I'm a person that doesn't want to not own my company Mm -hmm. and have some white guy think I'm not doing a good job and like vote me out. That's who I am.
1: Question for you, Karen, and congratulations on all you've accomplished it is truly incredible and everything you've just shared is is so inspiring my question is about the raise so for our listeners who have never raised before and are new to fundraising when you can you explain what you mean when you say you oversubscribed you you raised 2 million and how much of your company did you have to give away for that 2 million did you have to set a valuation ahead of time
0: we did so great questions and for all the listeners i didn't know any of this language, zero of it. So you're talking to me eight years into my entrepreneurship journey for the first two and a half. I knew jack about any of this. So don't feel bad if you don't know what I'm talking about, because I didn't either. Okay. So oversubscribe just means you have too many people that want to come in, which is a great problem to have. Good and business problem. you decide problem. <laughs> whether you're going to take the money or not, essentially. So that's what happened there, which was Awesome. We set a valuation of $5 million. and the reality is with a valuation, it's kind of like licking your finger and sticking it in the wind, right? You, when you're first starting out, you don't know. But we were about a year and a half in-ish. We had revenue. We had customers. And we had a comp at that point, a comparative bunch of companies, which were, you know, because we were only doing crowdfunding at that time. So it was Indiegogo, Kickstarter um go fund me so it was easier to explain to investors and we were showing traction and revenue and we weren't spending on advertising because we couldn't afford to i mean literally and so all of our traffic was organic we were getting a lot of press because you know it was good news stories Mm -hmm. and remember we launched a week before the 2016 election so talk about needing some good news stories out Mm -hmm. there we didn't have a publicist but we just got a lot of love from from the press, which I'm so grateful for, and I say so humbly. We could not get one thing written about us, and we had a publicist for the first company. I mean, really. So, I it's so hard to start a business. It is so everything about it is hard. It is not for the faint of heart, and I'm sure you two can co-sign on that, right?
1: Yep. But so rewarding, but very hard.
0: <laughs> it is rewarding. It's rewarding in a lot of ways. And it's rewarding if you, I think are mature enough to handle the roller coaster. Mm -hmm. And I don't say maturity and age, emotionally mature or emotionally ready. And I wasn't emotionally ready in the first startup at all, like zero. And I think with the second one, I think because we had failed and I was like, F it, like, this is a massive problem that millions and millions of women are facing. This isn't something that I just want. This is something that millions of women are facing. I think because of that, I was a little bit, a little fearless about it. And also I had Sarah and Kate. So it wasn't like I was doing it alone. We were doing Mm -hmm. it equally. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's rewarding. It's rewarding for sure. I mean, our work is rewarding because we get to fund women. We get to help women succeed in their businesses. We get to help women hire employees. We get to help our economy. Like that's what we do at the end of the day. So it's exciting. And iFund Women of Color is one of our flagship products that I haven't talked about yet, which is super important. So 75% of our members from the get-go have been women of color entrepreneurs because that's the vast majority of entrepreneurs in this country. And that's great. When we raised capital, we raised $2 million dollars on a $5 million pre-money valuation. So that means we sold 40% of our company. So we still own 60, our investors own 40, and that's fine, that's great. We still own the company, we still haven't, you know, we haven't done another raise since because we have runway and profit, we're profitable and all the good things, so that's good. And I would say to the founders listening out there, Be careful how much you raise. Like, I kind of wish we'd raised a little bit less. Like, it was exciting to be oversubscribed, and we definitely needed the money to build the tech we needed and to hire the talent we wanted to hire. We hired our head of engineering is from Google. Our head of product is from Amazon. Like, you you can't skimp on talent, and we also had to compete in the New York job market. So we really needed money to hire the best-in-class tech people to build the products that are working so well for women entrepreneurs and helping them raise capital. So it's, it was kind of like, I look back in it and I'm like, it's actually my pleasure to sell 40% of my company because look where we are now and look how much money women have raised, look how many jobs they've created. And so that feels good. That's awesome. One other thing I wanted to sort of mention to your, to you guys is the vast majority of entrepreneurs in the United States are women of color. We knew that from the get-go. And so, We started iPhone Women of Color four years into our journey. And the reason we didn't start it at first was because Olivia Owens, who's the GM of IFWOC, she was our first employee and really like our fourth co-founder. Let's be clear. She was there from day one, period. And when she started, I said, Libby, most of our entrepreneurs are women of color. Like, should we have special programming? Should we do like something different? She's like, stop othering people like. Yeah, you know, I majored in African American Studies. I've been an activist for racial equity and equality my whole life. So like this is all I think about actually, which is part of my story I didn't even really talk about cuz whatever, but like race discussions for me are like I'll talk about it with anyone. I don't care. My name is Karen. So it's like that couldn't be worse. <laughs> A white r- activist for racial <laughs> equity named Karen. Hey. <laughs> but I said Libby should we be doing some special programming? Because crowdfunding is when you're raising money from your network. And a lot of people who are people of color and Caucasian women, a lot of women in general, but you know, let's be clear, women of color don't have rich networks. And so we need to do extra stuff to help them along. She's like, let's just wait, let's see how it goes. And don't, we don't want to be put in another bucket, like, you know, and which is, fair. And she's a woman of color. She's a black woman. So I was like, I'm listening to you because, you know, so we're going along, everything's going great three years in, and we're looking at the funding volume constantly. So about early 2019, I look at the funding volume from 2017, 2018, and a little bit of 2019. And I was like, Livy, we're sitting next to each other in an office. I poked her. I'm like, 22% of white women are raising 70% of the money. The 75% of women of color are raising 30% of the money, not on my watch. Like no way. I was like, go find an engineer, go find a product person. Mazel tov. You're now GM of iPhone women of color. Go do it. And she did it. And she announced it on stage at the women's March in January of 2020. It was an epic moment. It brings me to tears. Every time I think about it, it's incredible. And in one year, so it's been around for one year, this is, or a year and a half, but in 2021, January of 2021, as we were closing the books on 2020, the dumpster fire of a year that it was, and the first year of iFund Women of Color's existence, we had taken the cumulative funding volume for all of iFund Women and brought it to parity. 51% women of color, 49% non-women of color. And obviously, women of color are not a monolith. There's all, we all get that, but My point in telling you this story is, number one, there's a resource out there. And women of color will largely tell you, we've done so much data and research, we've done so much research on their pain points, that yes, capital is the number one problem. But the second problem is not the coaching, right? That's what the group of women at large will tell you, is the coaching and the mentorship is the second problem. But women of color, specifically Black women, will tell you, I've been mentored enough, thank you very much. I need connections, connections to banking relationships, co-founders, collaborators, corporate partnerships. And so we created a special, we created another platform really for women of color entrepreneurs that got them those connections Mm. and it worked. So we brought the funding volume up to parity. And the final word on this is I am not a celebrity. I'm not Reese Witherspoon. I'm not Serena Williams. I'm not, I'm just a regular person and so is Olivia, and so are Sarah and Kate, and so are all of us, right? If you believe in something, and if you're passionate about something, you can do it. You actually can do it. And if you have the team around you who believes with you, you can do it. You don't have to be a celebrity or some major person to move mountains. So that's my little inspo for the, for the group.
1: All right, Karen, this is a fun segment we love to do. We're going to do a few rapid fire questions. So the first thing, the first word are words that come to your mind. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Describe yourself in three words.
0: Talkative. Passionate. Oh my God. What's the third word?
2: Sexy. Ooh, I like that one. Yeah. If you could learn one new skill, what would it be?
0: To code. Hmm.
1: What song would you say best sums you up?
0: Respect, Aretha
1: Franklin, the queen of soul. Love it.
2: What's your most used emoji?
1: The poop. <laughs> <laughs> What's the app on your phone that you cannot live without? Instagram.
2: What's your favorite tech business solution that has helped you?
1: Slack. Do you have a hidden talent?
2: No. No. I
0: I really don't
2: like not a
1: hidden talent.
0: Like, I'm good at tennis. I don't know. That's good.
1: We wouldn't know that. We wouldn't know that if you didn't tell us.
0: (laughs) I'm a great cook starting businesses. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) I have a hidden talent. Coaching women on how to start successful, profitable businesses.
2: There you go. That's a good one. If you could have any superpower, what would it be?
0: To immediately shift the wealth in the world and make it equal between genders and races and continents, period.
1: Well, I feel like you are on the path to doing that right now with everything you've started with I Fund Women, and we are so excited to be part of your your journey, your story, anything that we can do to continue to spread the word and, and mission of I Fund Women, I know so many members of our Entrepreneurs Elite community will be interested in hearing this uh, recording and- Maybe we can even have you come speak to everyone as well, because I know many of them are looking for for creative ways and great ways to be able to fund their business. So thank you, Karen, for sharing your story and journey. Where can everyone find you and follow you and sign up to start a campaign?
0: Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I will be happy to talk to anybody, anytime. So you can find me at iFundWomen on all the socials, iFundWomen.com. If you go there and you don't know what to do, just click start your journey and we will take you to where you need to be. And then I'm Karen Khan, everywhere. So thank you for having me girls. This was so fun.
1: Thank you. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entrepreneista.com and connect with us on Instagram at Entrepreneistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entrepreneista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead.